you know, we articulate at our church our purpose statement in this way. We say that we are here to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. And this is something that drives us. It drives our church. We think about this with our calendar. We think about this, that, that, that we're called to be in this place, in this part of, of the world, to love people to Christ. When it comes to our body of believers, we're to equip one another on our journey with God. We're to equip one another on our journey with one another. And I'm grateful that we're in life together. I'm grateful that we are pushing one another. And, and as we live together in this place and, and learn to walk with the Lord, it's important that we pay close attention to how we come to God. You know, it's, it's interesting. It blows my mind that, like Hebrews 4.16 says, that let us with, then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, a throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. That, that God, the Bible tells us that we can, can draw near to God. We, uh, you and I, can come into the presence of God. That, that's amazing to me that, that we can do that. But at the same time, we, we need to pay close attention to the way we do it. And, and I think that, um, you, you know, we can at times be in danger of peeking at God when the object of worship is really ourselves. And, and we've got to watch this. We've got to pay attention to this. This is what this parable is all about that we're, we're going to look at in, in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Um, because this, this temptation to come to the Lord and just peek at him, but really the focus is on ourselves, a focus of, of worship or the object of worship is us, it's a temptation that we will all face. And, and, and this is a temptation that we will face individually when we just are worshiping the Lord, or, or it, it's also a temptation that we will face corporately when we come to worship the Lord. And um, this is what happened in this parable. Luke 18, if you would stand with me, please. Luke chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 9. And it says this, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you know, as long as I've been a student of the Bible, I've understood a parable to be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we're, we're going to take uh, through really the entire fall looking at, the, looking at the parables in Luke. 
Now, the Greek term parable actually means, and we said it, I'll say this probably almost every week, but it means to cast alongside. And what, what Jesus is doing is he is, is casting alongside a kingdom truth. And, and he's using an earthly story, a story that we can relate to and we can understand, and he's putting aside a kingdom reality that we need to understand. And Jesus was such a masterful storyteller, and, and in this he... It's just an incredible picture that, that we see. We, 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 uh, we, we understand the kingdom of God to be this. It's, it's, it's something that we will one day experience. One day, you and I will get to see the kingdom of God. We will see God's kingdom, and, and it'll, it, right now we see a poor reflection of, in a mirror, the Bible says. One day we will see clearly. But at the same time, God has revealed his kingdom to us. We get to experience a little bit of the kingdom of God right now. And, and that's the beauty of, of what Jesus has done. He's, he's come to us, and, and the Holy Spirit is in us and leading us. He speaks to us. He answers prayer. He guides us. He gives us strength. These are little pieces of the kingdom of God that we understand. Now, as we look at this, at the parables... We, we recognize that, that though those of us who, are, who are come, have come to the Lord, we've been forgiven, he has washed our sins away, we understand our need of him, and we're looking to him, we're surrendered to him, these parables open up God's kingdom to us. It's a moment that we can go, oh, I get it, Lord, I understand, but, but there are people in the world who are set on rebellion and set to, in their own way of doing things, and, and, and these parables actually cause confusion. You know, one of the things that we're trying to do as a church, we're pushing one another to memorize the Bible, memorize Scripture. And so in this pursuit through the series in, in, uh, in the parables, we're asking you and challenging you to memorize a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter, well, excuse me, in Luke 8, which is a reference to Isaiah. Let me get, I'm, I'm going to use this verse later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But in Luke chapter 8, turn over there, Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, we're asking you to memorize this. This is Luke quoting Isaiah 6. He's quoting Isaiah. And, uh, and Luke's referencing when Jesus did this. And this is the passage I want you to memorize. I want to challenge you to memorize as we go through this series. And it's an interesting passage. It's one of those passages that causes us to think a little bit. And when his disciples, verse 9, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. To us, as his followers, as people that know Jesus, we have been given this opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom. Now, these are secrets we're not to keep to ourselves. These are, these are secrets we're to understand to shape our lives, to, to share with the world. But he says, for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What this passage is, is helping us understand is we memorize it. I want you to see that a state of rebellion, a position of rebellion against God is never a good place to be. It's a place of confusion, of instability, of... of um, frustration. And, and in this parable that we're going to look at today, you see this really, this incredible reversal. Because, the, you know, we as, if, we, if you study the Bible for very long, you understand a Pharisee is kind of a negative, we have a negative viewpoint of the, of the, of the term Pharisee. 
Because we, if you've studied the Bible very long, you understand how Jesus had so much conflict with the Pharisees. But if we were first century Christians, or, or excuse me, first century Jews, people listening to Jesus tell this parable, we would have been shocked at Jesus' comparison here. We would have been like, no way. A Pharisee in our mind, if we were first century people, would have been these, man, those are the guys that have it all together. Those are the guys that are the standard to live by. We've got to understand that because that's how the audience that Jesus was speaking to heard this. The Pharisee was who you should emulate. That, that's the, the life that you should live. But Jesus does this reversal because he tells a story that puts this Pharisee in an unfavorable position and then a tax collector in a favorable position. Now, if we would have been a first century Jew, we would have seen a, a tax collector and we would have said, man, we don't like him. That's a crook. That's a, he's betrayed us. He is, he, he is not popular. They, they, they had to hang out by themselves because no one wanted to hang out with them. These were people that were despised. These were the kind of people that if they, if they walked in the door of a church, they would, there would be whispers going, why, is that, why are they here? Can you believe he's in church? And we think, oh, well, we would never do that. Oh, but are we guilty of that? I mean, I meet people all the time. There's, a, there's people in town that I know that, that have said to me, oh, I can't walk in the door of the church. The walls would fall down if I came in. And, and you know, the truth is, Jesus puts this reversal of, of, of um just culture in, the, in, in, in this story because this Pharisee is seen in the negative light and the tax collector in a positive light. In this parable, you see a couple of things. Jesus is rebuking some specific sins. The first sin is this, this sin of improper confidence. That, that I, we, we have a tendency to, to, to be in a position of improper confidence. And we don't think about this. We think, hey, coming to church is a good thing. You know, we, we have this temptation, I, and I feel this sometimes as a pastor, that, that I don't want people to feel uncomfortable when they, they come here. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. But let's think about that for a second. I have to stop and think about that for a second. If I'm never uncomfortable in church, I'm probably not in the right church. Because when I come to the Lord, and I come to his plan for my life, I find myself often in an uncomfortable position. And so we need to be careful about the feel-good church, the feel-good temptation. We want to feel good because sometimes, yeah, we, we should be grateful and it's right to gather together and come to the Lord. I'm not saying that. But we must not forget we are in a place where God is molding us into his image. That like iron sharpens iron, we are sharpening one another to walk with the Lord. And, and we are confronting one another about our lives. And, and so we've got to sit at the feet of Jesus today and hear this parable. Because it's just an interesting confrontation of of coming to the Lord with this improper confidence. And, and secondly, you see in this parable this, temp, this, this pride of looking down on somebody else. 
Because often we, we come to, to worship and we look this way. Oh, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm not near as bad. I'm a lot more honest than, than that girl. Or whatever. You pick it. When we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And that's the, look at this, verse, verse, verse 9. Look back at verse 9. He told them this parable. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, now this is a shocking story, and, 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 and look at what it goes on. Two men, uh, the Pharisee standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. See, this is this guy that is winking at God. He's taking a peek at God. But really, the object of worship is himself. Man, we've got to hear that. Um, point number one is this. Trusting in yourself and treating others with contempt, these are fatal flaws. These are fatal flaws. See, holiness and, and, and forgiveness, this is something that God does in us. It's a, it's a state of the heart. God looks at our heart. We so are so good at putting on the outside and, and dressing up the outside, but, but, but ignoring what's going on in our hearts. And I long to be a part of a church that, that we can come together and we can, when someone says, hey, how are you doing? We don't just go, fine. You know, okay. Good, good. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to be a part of a church that when I, when I saw Wayne Yuckley today in the hallway, he goes, how you doing? I go, I'm a little nervous. A little, little. I had to drive to Oklahoma City yesterday, yesterday morning. Tomorrow morning, my sister-in-law is having surgery to remove a brain tumor that we didn't know about until about midnight on yesterday morning. And so our family, my brother's an elder at Henderson Hills Baptist Church in Edmond. They've, they're serving the Lord in incredible ways. And we are in the midst of a, of a prayerful moment as a family. And, and you know, when I think about so often, we, wanna, we have this temptation to come to church and be like, I'm good. Yeah, good. But, but oh, we need honesty. We've got to come to the Lord and not have this trusting in ourselves. We as a family are very aware of a moment in our lives when we need to trust the Lord, not ourselves. And this is where we are all the time. We can't forget this. 
And see, it's interesting, as Jesus confronts this Pharisee, and, and he, he always did this, like in, in Matthew 23, it's interesting, they said about the Pharisees, Jesus uses, uses this comical example, he says, you Pharisees, you are like blind guides, you're like blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I mean, they, they, he criticizes these guys. They're coming against Jesus. He, he says to them that, that, that you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the, on the outside, you look so good, but on the inside, you are far from me. And I pray that we come to the Lord and we're honest about what's going on in our hearts. And see, um, Jesus is looking at this situation. He's drawing this picture that says this, this person that on the outside looks so good, he is lost. He's blind. He's spiritually depraved. But this guy that is hated, that is, that is just coming saying, God, I need you. I'm, I beg for your mercy. That's the right heart. So what do we see here? Overlooking our own mistakes is a common temptation that we have, isn't it? It's easy for us to overlook our own mistakes. It's easy to come to the Lord or come to church and go, you know, uh, look at all these people. I mean, how many times have we been and I've been hearing a message going, boy, you know who needs to hear this? Well, I know some people need to hear this message. When I forget this, God, what do you have for me? I need to hear this. Thinking that we are better than other people, that's false thinking. And this is prevalent in our world. That, that we have a tendency to think that, that, that we're better than somebody else. And, oh, we're not. You know, the, our church must never forget, and this is so important. I pray something we, we fully embrace. Our church must never forget we once struggled to relate to God. In fact, we were once his enemy. Do you, do you remember a time that you struggled to relate to God? And this is something we must never forget because some, some, of, some of us have lost the joy of our salvation and, and some of the most miserable people I've met are Christians because they've lost the, they've, they've forgotten that Jesus has forgiven them of so much. And this is a position we must never forget. I love Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of, of promise, having no hope without God in the world. You know, uh, in, in the midst of my family's crisis this weekend, I'm thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. There was a time that we had no hope. And I can't forget this. That, that, but now in Christ, verse 13, Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what's so miraculous about Jesus' teaching is even in the Sermon on the Mount, he looked at the Pharisees and he said, or in the, in the, he's teaching all these people, and he says, your righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees. And people were like, that, that's impossible. That's impossible. But Jesus was pointing out, look, the law, God demands perfection. God demands perfection. You can't keep the law by yourself. And this parable is full of lessons about human depravity, about divine grace, about redemption of sin, and, and this important doctrine, this important truth that none of us can earn our way to heaven. 
And, and, and you've got to pay attention. As we look at these parables, you're going to see over and over again, Jesus is reinforcing this idea that getting to heaven in your own power is impossible. And this flies in the face of what the world has taught, what the world believes. Because most people believe that, hey, I'm pretty good. I'm going to be good. I, I, even re- I can't remember the NFL player that was on, on a news show. I, I, I saw the clip. I um, can't remember his name. But she was asking him about, about the, uh, the problem with racism in our culture. And he starts saying, hey, you know what? The real problem is that we're sinners. And we need to be forgiven. And he goes on and, and preaches an, a really incredible message about the, our human depravity. And you know what they did? They cut his mic. Oh, sorry, we got to go. We, we lost him. Oh, sorry. Because, why is this such a struggle? Because we live in a world that thinks, oh, we're good. We're okay. And we've got to come to this recognition that we're not okay. That repentance is a, is a, is a critical position for us. Point number two is this. Com- repentance is a continuous discipline for us. And coming to the Lord, you know, it always begins with looking in the mirror, doesn't it? And when I come to the Lord, I, I can't help but think about the things I need to change. It's like, it's like a guy looking in a mirror versus a girl looking in a mirror. Okay, have you seen, you've seen your wife get ready, guys? Okay, I mean, they're like this. And <laughs> they get those mirrors that bring it up close. And I stand in like 30 feet away going, huh, looking pretty good. <laughs> All right, let's go, babe. What do you think? You know? And they're in there going, oh, I got an eyelash right there. I'll, I'll have a, a curling hair out of my nose, and I won't see it for weeks. <laughs> it's called getting older, I guess. I don't know. Until Robin pulls it out. <laughs> that's not in my notes anywhere in here. <laughs> so that's good. I'll move on. Verse 13. Verse 13, look at this tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, as I've studied this, I couldn't help but wonder why Why Jesus, to this Pharisee and the Pharisees, you see him preaching law. Hey, you guys need to keep the law. We saw this last week. Hey, yeah, go and do this law. Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, no, no, let me me explain to you. And and the reality is he was explaining to to them, but, but the message that these guys needed to hear was that they couldn't keep the law. They had not felt the weight of their sin. And see, this is the first step in coming to Jesus, is is really understanding the weight of sin that is on you. The weight of sin that is on me. And Jesus was helping these, these Pharisees understand this false merit system that the world has created, and it is prevalent today. You can look at Mormon theology, and it's a works-based 
salvation. You look at, at, at all, all the religions of the world, the thing that makes it different is the fact that, that Christianity, different from every other religion, is that we have a Savior that took the weight off of us. Every other religion describes this pursuit of earning your own way. And, and that's an impossible task. And we see this over and over again. I had a friend of mine that was lifting weights one day, and he was, he was uh, sharing. There was a guy that wasn't a believer, and, and uh, they got into a conversation, and, and he says to him, uh, yeah, you know, all religions are the same. He's like, actually, they're, they're different. And he was like, well, let me, he goes, let me explain it to you. He goes, they were bench pressing. And he goes, how much can you bench press? He goes, I bench press like 310. Wow, it's pretty good, pretty good. He goes, what if I loaded up 450 and got it on your chest? He's like, I'd be in trouble. And uh, he goes, well, what if I said to you, I got it on your chest, and I said, hey, you know what, it's not even there. It's not there. Just, it's not even there. Uh, that'd be a problem, because it's there. He goes, what if I said to you, no, no, look, here's the perfect form of a bench press. All you have to do is do this exact form, and that's the technique that you need to do a perfect bench press. That wouldn't help me. He goes, what would you need to do? I'd need you to get the weight off my chest because I can't lift that much. He goes, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religious pursuit. Because Jesus came to get the weight of sin off of us. You can't lift it on your own. And that's the miracle of Jesus and what he did. And see, the Bible speaks, and we looked at this uh, several months ago, or probably a couple of years ago if you were here, and, but we talked about this uh, idea of propitiation. Maybe it was last Easter, I think. Propitiation. You know that word? Write that word down, propitiation. I'll spell it for you. P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. I think that's right. Good luck. The Romans 3.25 says this, but God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It's this idea. Propitiation means this. The act by which someone, in this case God, becomes Propitious. Aren't you glad I just defined it for you? You're welcome. It means that we were unfavorable. And Jesus made us favorable. See, this is what this Pharisee didn't understand, that, that, that Jesus came to cancel our sin, cancel our debt. And it's this, 1 Peter 2.10 moment. I love 1 Peter 2.10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you see in this scene that Jesus describes, you have this Pharisee that's looking at himself and saying, I am so righteous. And he doesn't understand that his greatest need is the forgiveness of God because his sin is offensive to a holy God. And yet on the other hand, you see 
this man, this tax collector, this man that has betrayed his people and he knows it. He has fallen short. He is offensive to his people. He's offensive to God and he knows it. And all he can do is keep his head down and say, God, I am a sinner. He begs for God's mercy. And Jesus draws this picture that, look at this, verse 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, we see that authentic worship, point number three, authentic worship produces this humble posture, doesn't it? Like when you, when you come into the presence of God, doesn't that, that break you? Doesn't that put you in awe of, of what God has done in your life? You see, this is why we have to pay attention to how we approach God. Because when I study the scriptures and, I, and we hear about these encounters with God, like Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, uh, that's the, the, the Luke 8. That's what Jesus quoted in Isaiah 6. Because Isaiah was, had met with God and then he said, Isaiah, you're going to go to a people that they're going to have ears, but they're not going to hear. They're going to have eyes, but they're not going to perceive. But you've got to go. And, but that came from, that call came from a meeting with God where Isaiah says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said. He said, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted and the train of his robe filled up the temple. Look at this picture. Above him were seraphs, these angelic creatures, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two wings, they were flying. Isaiah sees the Lord. They were calling to one another, he says, Holy, holy, holy is the, is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with, full, full of his glory. He said, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And what does Isaiah say? He says, woe is me, I cried. This is the prophet. This is the godliest man in the world at this point. What does he say? Woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then he describes this moment. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. You see, Isaiah experienced forgiveness. And when you experience forgiveness, you don't get over it. And some of us have known the Lord a long time and you've forgotten how much Jesus forgave you. And we must never forget that. We must always remind ourselves that we are those that were once in opposition, living in opposition to God. And he showed us mercy. And the result of that, it moves us to be forgiving. 
to show mercy, to love people, to, to be a church where it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like, you're welcome in this place. We don't look down on somebody else. You know, just when I, when I think about the, the picture, let me give you four quick things. The, when you really encounter God, there is an awe of God, isn't there? When you come into God's presence, there's this awe of God that, is, that happens. There's, there's an, an admission of shortfalls. There's a moment where you go, God, I've got some things I need to change. And this is why church, we got to be careful that church is not always comfortable. Because if I'm around the Word of God and it's always easy and comfortable for me, then we really need to look at that. Because it's not often comfortable. Following Jesus is, is, is rarely comfortable. Now, it's an adventure. It's a... Uh, it's a little crazy at times. At times, it might be dangerous. Um, we don't understand it all. But let me tell you, following Jesus is something we must not miss. But when you come to the Lord, there's an admission of shortfalls. There, there's a sure surrender. We're going to surrender to the Lord. We are, we are coming to the Lord saying, God, we surrender to your voice. And that's why without apology, we are a people that says, God, lead us. Would you lead us? I mean, I want you to know that as the pastor of this church, I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And we are together following him, accomplishing his plan in this place. And isn't that where you want to be? Right in the middle of the will of God? Following him. And, and when you come to the Lord, there's, there's an awe of God. There's an admission of shortfalls. There's a sure surrender. There's quick obedience to the Lord. That's why I would often say, uh, and I pray this is true of us, that, that when God moves us, we move. That we are quick to move. That's why we have invitations here. Because we must be quick to move when God moves us. So we've we got to hear this. This morning, do we relate more to the Pharisee peeking at God but really the object of worship is ourselves. Or can we relate to this tax collector? Have you ever come to Jesus like this tax collector did? Oh God, would you have mercy on me? Because I don't care where you are or what you've done in your life. The Bible is very clear. Jesus very clearly said, if you come to me, I will not cast you out. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. How do I know that? Because I did that. I came to him. And said, God, I'm, I got nothing. You know what God did? He goes, no, you got everything. You got me. Have you ever come to Jesus like that tax collector? That's the moment of salvation. May we never forget that.